This is an ABC podcast. They're round. <laughs> I have quite small boobs, but I do think they're like, I don't know, quite round and firm. Everyone's boobs are different. They're very soft. Um, they're an E cup, so they're very large. Picture a boob. Actually, that's not going to work. Maybe picture two boobs. <laughs> get a set. Now, let me guess what you see. They're big, right? But not too big. They're perfectly symmetrical with a hairless nipple bang in the middle and they're perky and they're round. And that's lovely, but hardly realistic, right? Because breasts come in all shapes and sizes. I have got a bit of uh, Torres Strait bladder in me, so I am a little bit more olive. I do have big areolas as well, and they are probably the size of a ginger nut cookie. Think about the boobs you might accidentally spy in the change rooms at the local pool. How often are those everyday boobs picture perfect? I have a third nipple. I think mine are pretty, like, averagely good boobs. They're around the same size. (laughs) Well, my left one is bigger. They change throughout the month, which I find exciting. Not exciting, weird. Breasts are way more dynamic than society or the beauty industry would have us believe. A new thing that I've had since having kids is actually a pointed nipple. They are a thing that I feel like I've never met a woman who didn't have a hang-up of some sort about them. When the majority of real-world breasts don't fit this perky mould, it's no surprise that some of us have got hang-ups about our boobs. It's always on my mind when I'm, like, getting dressed. When I do yoga, I often find no matter what I put on to try and keep them down, they'll end up in my mouth. Only in the last maybe two years have I started to wear shirts that actually show my boobs at all. They make me feel very feminine and they're a big part of expressing who I am. I love them. Sometimes I'll rock a shirt and I'll be like, look really good. (laughs) I'll get a little bit of side boob. (laughs) I'm Yumi Steins. Boobies, tits, norks, cans, memories, your rack, big ones, little ones, fat ones, long ones, lumpy ones, lopsided ones, absent ones, augmented ones, brown ones, black ones, white ones, ladies. (laughs) We need to celebrate our boobs. Warning, this episode is all about your boobs. And one thing I've noticed is that every single woman we've talked to in this mammary epic has, at some point in the recording, cupped her own boobs in her two hands. So the warning is that you might do that too, which is good, right? Because I want to celebrate them. The watermelons, the apples, the fried eggs, the mozzie bites and the empty sacks too. I like to think I've got Japanese boobs. As an Australian woman, I might be quite disconnected from my mother's culture, but at least I can say my tits haven't forgotten the land of the rising sun. Not that anyone would know, because like most of us, I keep mine under wraps. And that brings me to the reason we want to celebrate all the boobs out there, because we just don't often see them. Most of the breasts on TV or in advertising aren't real. And if that's your thing, that's totally fine. But that vision of the perfectly bouncy, soft and neat booby, it isn't 100% realistic. We've sort of put this huge burden on breasts to be sort of like the sexual, like all piece, all things to all people, piece of anatomy. And it's just kind of, it's just a ridiculous and un, unfair burden. 
This is Florence Williams. She knows a lot about boobs. She's written a book called Breasts, A Natural and Unnatural History. She's tried to understand why we even have breasts. It seems like a simple question, but it turns out it's very controversial. Really, for many decades, evolutionary biologists have said that breasts are sexually selected and that we have them because they advertise our fertility. Basically, they're for men. (laughs) They're for men to look at. And that's why we have them. They're all about the men. They're all about mating. But interestingly, there are a lot of feminist anthropologists out there now, and they say, hang on. Uh, We actually think there may be more to it than that. We think breasts actually may be naturally selected. And there's something about having breasts that increases the fitness of the woman. And really, it has nothing to do with attracting a mate at all, at least not in terms of why we have them. So those reasons are everything from, um, you know, look, they're a great place to store fat. (laughs) And fat was a very limited resource for early humans through most of our evolutionary history. And of course, you know, it's really children who needed breasts for most of our evolutionary history. And and the fact that we have breasts that are shaped the way they do is really all about infant feeding. The weird thing about boobs that you might not know is that they're quite unique to humans. Okay, so we share 98.8% of our DNA with chimps, but chimpanzee boobs only appear when they're feeding their babies and then whoosh, they disappear. That's right. And so it's worth asking, well, what is really unique about humans? Uh, And it turns out that that fat requirement is actually the main thing. So human infants, you know, have brains that are four or five times as large as other primate infants. So we need more fat in those brains. We also need more fat to even lactate at all in the first place. We need more fat to get pregnant. Humans just have much, much higher fat requirements. So we need a place to store it. It could be that breasts are really just happy accidents of fat deposition. Yes, they're useful, but we can't escape the fact that our breasts have become a symbol of sex appeal and femininity. Florence says that ever since the first boob job, which happened in the 60s, our idea of normal breasts has changed quite a bit. It really kind of, you know, permeated popular mainstream culture. And in fact, you know, the fallout from that was that a lot of women with smaller breasts were sort of pathologized by doctors and by the plastic surgery industry who said to these women, oh, you have micromastia. They actually gave it sort of a a label that sounded like a disease. You know, you have small breasts. This is a medical problem that needs to be solved. (sighs) What is it called? (laughs) I've never heard that before. Micromastia. Micromastia, really, it sounds nasty, doesn't it? But I mean, the irony is that, you know, small breasts work perfectly well for uh, the, the things that breasts are supposed to work for. They feed children perfectly well. They provide sexual stimulation perfectly well. It's just that we created this kind of disease and we imposed it on women who were then made to feel bad about their bodies. If there's one thing I've learned hosting this podcast, it's that the list of things that can make women feel bad about their bodies is both endless and it's full of shit. When it comes to our boobs, we're so often caught up in aesthetics that women can spend heaps of cash changing them. 
I had always thought about getting it, mm. yes. I had this girl's body and after I had my daughter, I felt more womanly and I feel like my body didn't reflect that. This is Lynn, which isn't her real name. She was a double A cup and at 32 years old decided to get a boob job. 13,000 Australian women make that same decision every year. The procedure generally costs between six to $12,000. I went in and I saw the surgeon and I asked for a large B, small C. I came out with Fs what? and I was absolutely devastated and they looked ridiculous on me. How did that happen? I don't know. I think like at the time, like they just, it's only now that they think it's like sort of cool to do the really small ones. But back then you went in and you asked for something small and everybody got the Pamela Anderson look. I don't think they did anything other than that. So I was pretty horrified. Can you remember the first time you looked in the mirror and saw your new breasts? Lynn, like, can you remember how you felt? Yes. Um, I remember they took the bandages off and I was absolutely shocked. They were like a little bit swollen, like right up there, very big. I mean, I'd gone from a double A to an F. I had these huge bosoms just staring at me in the face and um, I was absolutely shocked. It felt like sort of a Frankenstein moment or where someone else's body part had been stuck on my body. It was pretty out of this world bizarre. Wow. Was there a moment where you started to love yourself? Well, I actually had lots of complications. So within the first six weeks, one of my breasts, my left breast, blew up like a huge balloon and it was filling with blood. I'd, I'd got a hematoma. I had to be raced back in and he had to drain all the blood out. Yeah. So it was a saga, a saga. So yeah, for me, it's been a regretter. <laughs> so is that your official stance now, Lynn, that you regret having a boob job? Yes, I do, definitely. I'm in the process now. Now I'm older and wiser and I don't put as much stock in how I look. Back then a lot of my self-worth was placed on, you know, my appearance and it was really important to me. And now I feel like, you know, I'm 42, I'm a much happier person in myself and, you know, that's not the be-all and end-all for me. So I'm actually considering having them removed, having a little lift done and I'm going to perhaps do a bit of fat grafting taken out of my butt or and popped in and just have the like small perky boob and and because I just don't want to look down the barrel of having a surgery every 10 years you yeah know? it's already cost Lynn around fourteen thousand dollars for her boob jobs after the medical complications Lynn needed a second boob job and now she's a D cup if she removes them and gets her lift it will cost her another ten to fifteen thousand dollars which is no small potatoes. Lynn has a 12-year-old daughter and she's advised her not to get a boob job. She doesn't want her daughter growing up thinking she needs surgery to improve her looks. If it's going to totally change your life if you've had breast cancer or, you know, you've, it really is bringing you down, then, like, go ahead and do it. No one should make that decision about their body or be judged about it. But I would just keep in mind that you think it's going to change your life and it doesn't. <laughs> You're just exactly the same person with different shaped boobs. And, you know, you're looking down the barrel of many surgeries, you know, health problems, and I, I think it's not worth it. Happiness comes from within, and that's what I found along my journey. So be happy with who you are and what you are because you're beautiful. It's a beautiful sentiment, yet hard to embody because in Western culture, breasts are kind of like your sex magnets, right? They're a thing that draws partners to you. 
and most women appreciate the beauty of a boob. They're used to sell us perfumes, shoes, food, diets, cars, a bunch of things that have actually nothing to do with boobs. And when they're not selling us stuff, they tend to be hidden. Public breastfeeding can be the one exhilarating exception in an entire lifetime of covering up. But even then, lots of people choose to do the subtle nursing cover. I like to remind myself that hiding your boobs or not is cultural. Not everyone does it. I guess because I've got darker skin, not that they're as dark as an aubergine or eggplant, they've got a little bit of sway in them, so they kind of hang a bit. This is Namilla. She's in her 40s with two kids and she's got a great relationship with her breasts. I'm a mum of two. Um, I breastfed both my boys. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they're a little bit saggy, but I also feel quite comfortable doing things like putting out the bins and sitting in the front yard when I'm not wearing a bra. So I try to let my girls breathe as I'm doing now while I'm talking to you. I try to let them breathe as much as possible. And, yeah, they're kind of low hangers and they're a beautiful, rich, melanated colour, so a really dark brown I've just always loved them. I mean, they make me feel very feminine and they're a big part of expressing who I am because I'm very much about the swerves in my curves kind of thing. And yeah, my breasts play a huge part of that. So I love them. So my background is Pacific Islander. I'm from Papua New Guinea and breasts are a very accepted and natural part of how we operate day to day, but also how we present ourselves to the world day to day. We've become more westernised now, so people cover up more. And that's definitely because of the arrival of missionaries and the shame that came from Western culture around expressing yourself through your breasts. It's wonderful to see see that when it comes to cultural and ceremonial events, though, in Papua New Guinea, for many parts across the country, uh, they're referred to nationally, breasts are referred to as susus. And yeah, it's really beautiful to see that women dance and celebrate and sing with their susus out. So it is a huge part of what we call body bilask, which is body adornment. So part of that bilask means painting up our breasts or just letting them hang whilst we wear lots of body adornment. And it forms part of who you are, where you're from, how your people express themselves. So breasts are also a very expressive part of many elements of PNG culture. A common story I hear is that a person's relationship to her boobs changes significantly when she gives birth. As I was breastfeeding both my babies, it's weird to kind of verbalise just how powerful you feel that you are such a force of nurturing and nourishment. I mean, I will be forever thankful for just the pleasure in multiple ways that my breasts have given me. And I just think my girls are amazing. (laughs) Here, here, breasts are amazing. But what about when your best laid plans don't work? We had so many conversations about breastfeeding. It was something that was really important to me and I can't quite explain why, I guess other than the fact that I'm generally a perfectionist and it seemed like part and parcel of having children and being a good mum sort of thing that you breastfed your kids. 
This is Sarah. She's in her mid-30s and has two young kids. When she had her first daughter, breastfeeding started out okay. She had skin to skin on my chest. She latched straight on. She had a great latch from the beginning. You know, it was all going smoothly. I had no nipple damage. She was, you know, all of the things were going right. About day three, she started to get really unsettled and I'd had to have some a couple of nights in the hospital and the third night in the hospital was just really rough. She just cried and cried and cried, which in hindsight now was hunger, but at the time you just don't know if you've got a a baby who cries or, you know, there's a reason for it. So. Mm, and you can't see the milk going in, so you don't really know what she's getting. No, and, you know, you, you unlatch the baby and you, you hand express and milk comes out, so you think, OK, we're good to go. I mean, I remember one night, I think I sat for six hours just going from breast to breast, trying to feed her, not knowing why she was so unsettled, if I was doing something wrong, you know, and the feeling of isolation of breastfeeding in the middle of the night is just something that I think you can only understand once you've done it, but you just feel like you're the only person on earth. And then um, in the, the next day, the midwife came for her visit and she was talking to me and she said to me, you know, Sarah, I think it's, I think it's probably time we talk about maybe adding some formula in. And I just broke down, really. The sense of failure and shame and just feeling like I couldn't do it, like I wasn't enough, you know, that I hadn't been able to be enough for my daughter, you know, almost enough of a woman, really, um, that sort of underlying feeling. To hear that we had to, to go to that, I just just have never felt so ashamed and like such a failure. Yeah, I guess I can't describe it any better than that. So sorry. Yeah, I look back now. I'm generally a pretty rational person, but I look back now and I think, you know, that 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 feeling of of failure, where does that come from, you know? Is that something that I did to myself? Is that something that comes on from all of the information you get along the way? I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that one is, but I just I, I distinctly remember holding her... You know, when you're holding your six-day-old daughter, begging her to do a wee, <laughs> you know, with tears pouring down your face, that you got to wonder, you know, what sort of... I feel like the, the shame of the idea of giving her formula that I felt clouded my judgment to a point where I look back now and I think I, you know, genuinely could have endangered her. So what happened when she was given her first bottle? She took it in about 15 seconds and passed out and she slept. It was really the first time I'd seen her sleep soundly in about four days and I just sat holding her, sobbing. Sarah has felt angry and betrayed by her breasts. Of course, now she understands that not breastfeeding isn't the end of the world. Bottle feeding is perfectly fine, but in those tender and early days of mothering a newborn... Sarah felt like she was in an impossible situation. When her second child was born, Sarah was way more chilled out about breastfeeding. And in the beginning, it was working. But eventually, her daughter preferred a bottle. She would arch her back and scream Mm. like I was inflicting pain on her. And it was just, you know, I, I would sit. And I remember saying to my husband, you know, I might as well be anyone. You know, anyone can give her a bottle. I'm not special anymore. You know, it was this overwhelming feeling of you've, you've, sorry, 
you've conceived this baby, you've carried them, you've birthed them, and then while you're breastfeeding, they still need you and your body and you're special and, and you're the one person that can give them that. And as soon as that is gone, it just feels like you could be anyone. Dad can give her a bottle, Grandma can give her a bottle, and that's fabulous. Like, that is absolutely one of the biggest positives, I think, of bottle feeding your baby is that they can establish a relationship. You know, my husband's been able to be involved in that relationship in a way that lots of dads aren't if it's a breastfeeding relationship. If you could say something to an expecting mum about yep. breastfeeding and the expectations around it, what would you say? Oh you know, you go to the hospital and all of the posters say breast is best and look at all of the 479,000 different amazing things there are in breast milk and, <laughs> you know, absolutely, absolutely support breastfeeding. As many people as possible and who want to and who it's working for, please breastfeed. I would absolutely not suggest for a second that that relationship shouldn't occur. But there has to be a way to not put so much pressure on on mums that it's the absolute worst thing in the world if you've tried and it hasn't worked. Because at the end of the day, if you are putting yourself in a situation where your mental health is in danger, it's not worth it. I'm a, a late 40s trans woman. I've only had breasts for two years. I can't believe that cisgender women have been able to have them this whole time. I've been missing out. This is Roxy. She's got a particularly interesting relationship with her boobs. About two and a half years ago, I started taking oestrogen pills. And about three months after that, I started taking a testosterone blocker and some progesterone. And between those three hormones, I have developed breasts at the age of 49 I am now I love them they're so feminine and soft and they're such a representation of the softness of my personality that I just can't imagine living without them I can't imagine ever not having them you need to think of them in terms of only being on a, a teenage girl that's only had them for two years so they don't look like the breasts of a late 40s woman. They're quite firm and round. Seeing the breasts sprout from my chest as a mature adult was such a wonderful experience. It was something that matched my developing personality in parallel. So I could feel my thoughts and the way that I approach life softening as I watched the breasts sprout from my chest. It was such a wonderful journey for those two things to develop together. All of this makes me think that we should never take our breasts for granted, no matter their shape and no matter their size. And what I'm learning putting this episode together, for better or worse, our boobs are often connected with our identities. Well, my chest now is, it's a little concaved on one side. This is Nicole. Her breasts have shaped who she is, but not in the way you might think. 
The scars run from my armpit right to the centre from both armpits. I've got a little bit of excess skin um, that I'm a little bit unhappy with and uncomfortable with. Yeah, one side's reasonably flat and the other side kind of dints in a little bit um, around my ribs. Nicole had a double mastectomy last year. Her mum had breast cancer, so Nicole made the decision to preemptively remove her breasts. Yeah, yeah, so talking with my breast surgeon and he sent me off to a plastic surgeon to go through the options around reconstruction. And it was when I was with the plastic surgeon that he actually uh, alerted me to the fact that I didn't actually have to have a reconstruction. Um, And so he'd gone through different options. And because I I, I use a wheelchair every day because I've got a spinal cord injury and, and I use my upper body for my mobility and he was started to be feel a little concerned around to put an implant into my body he'd have to cut my pec muscles and place the implant underneath and that the chances of those failing for for myself considering how I use my arms was was greater and he was also concerned that I might also lose some strength in my arms he wasn't sure so uh, going through those options and 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 talking to him about it I realized that well actually no, I don't actually think a reconstruction is the right thing for me. I just thought that I had to have one, that I couldn't have this surgery without one. I was sort of felt pushed into the reconstruction and, and was quite uh, uh, liberating to have a doctor agree with me that I was okay, it was okay to choose being flat. So, Nicole, you've had no breasts for about a year. Mm-hmm. What's life like with no boobs? It's pretty good. I don't have to wear a bra. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to wear a bra anymore. Um, look, I did. I did to start with. Feel were people looking at me strangely? Were they confronted with the fact that I was completely flattened? To be honest, nobody noticed a thing. Um, there's every now and then I feel like I miss them. I've had a little bit of a gotcha moment. I think it was I uh, chatting with my partner. We're in the in, in the shower and we're talking about nipples and why are men's nipples so little. And I went to look down at mine and go, Oh yeah, that's right, they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Where you go? Oh my god! I was like, Oh yeah, that's right, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> Silly me. Um, yeah, and. And, like, I think I remember when I first got home from hospital and I had to leave the house for the first time without a bra on as an adult. And I remember going to go out the front door and feeling really uncomfortable and I got goosebumps all up my back. And I'm like, what the hell? Why am I uncomfortable? What's going on here? And then I realised, oh, my body doesn't like the fact that I'm going out without that thing on that you never go anywhere out of the house without wearing. And, And it was really sort of like... Aha moment! Like I remember as a you know as a young teenager, thinking that bras were ridiculous and why did I have to wear this thing? And it was so uncomfortable. To then being, you know, nearly forty years old and um, uh, being uncomfortable leaving the house without wearing it, and it felt so wrong. Um, so that took a little while for that sort of sensation and feeling to go. And now, oh man, I love it. <laughs> really? So you're totally on board with having no boobs. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, when it's really hot, I can just take my T-shirt off in the house. I haven't been game enough to go out of the house without a T-shirt on. All of those annoying bits and pieces or, you know, when you have to get it and stop it from riding up and pull it back down again, all those things are gone. And using your wheelchair, do you feel any difference? Yeah, well, that's the thing. You're using your wheelchair and I see other women in wheelchairs doing the things that I used to do is like when you're pushing around, those bra straps really go sliding off your shoulders yeah. all the time. And I don't have to try and push at the same time and hoik that strap back <laughs> up whilst, whilst trying not to run into the person in front of me or go off in the wrong direction. Yeah, so yeah, I have noticed, you know, quite a bit of a difference. Yeah. Mm. Do you feel less feminine without your breasts? 
Well, that was one of the things I sort of went into the surgery wondering, was I going to feel less like a woman? Was I going to feel less attractive to my partner and less feminine? And, you know, and ultimately I was waiting for this feeling to come along of, of, of feeling less uh, less like myself and then realising that it just wasn't there and that my femininity didn't come from my boobs, it didn't come from my breasts, that it's that it came from inside of me and, and not these appendages on the front of my chest. And I don't know whether or not that was from myself or it was from the pressure from everybody around me. You know, I've got my surgeon who was concerned about how I would feel and look without a feminine shape and he was concerned for me. Um, You know, this is a male doctor being concerned about how I'm going to feel without breasts. And then the nurses that come in afterwards and the breast care nurse that came in and, you know, this is two days after losing my breast and she's coming in with bras with pockets in it and, um, you know, prosthetic breasts and everything as if I should be uncomfortable to even so much as leave this room without these, you know, foam moulds on my chest. Um, There was a lot of pressure from everyone else around me to feel an impact that just wasn't there. Now, this episode is a bit of a, a, a love song to boobs. So I wanted to see if, if you're on board with maybe saying something like to the breasts that are no longer part of your body. What is there anything that you want to say to them? Uh, thank you for feeding my children. Thank you for being so beautiful and glorious and, and, and plump at the end and giving me just that you know little bit of cleavage that I got to enjoy before they were gone. But ultimately, they fed my babies and thank you. And just love your body. I've spent so many years hating my body and hating my breasts that I really wish that I had have just spent so many more years just loving what I had and who I was. So, ladies, love your breasts, whatever they look like, whatever they feel like, they're perfectly you and you rock. Hey, I have some news, team ladies. We are actually taking a short production break to lie around and talk about vaginas and discharge on our own dime. (laughs) So we will be back for season four and we'll catch you soon for more episodes of your favourite podcast. But if you haven't listened to all three seasons of Ladies, please go back and listen to the whole thing from the beginning. We have covered all the good things like bad sex, pornography, the mental load, masturbation, poo, birth control. Let me tell you, the list is long and it's all for you. And big thanks because we couldn't make this podcast without you. This club we've created with Ladies We Need to Talk might just be the coolest thing in the world. So before we go, we really wanted to share with you some of the amazing feedback that we get all the time on this podcast, summed up by one listener called Bex. I'm 37. I have two children already. I listened to the abortion episode and then a few days later discovered that I was pregnant and actually needed to have an abortion. The timing was just so surreal that I'm listening to this episode and then a couple of days later it actually became relevant and was really helpful. I, I really felt like I needed to let you know that so that you know that what you're doing is important. It is making an impact. Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. It's produced by Cassandra Steeth. Supervising producer is Madeline Jenner and our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of Audio Studios is Kelly Reardon. (laughs) 